You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, with service members from across the military, sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Round Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in each week, as you always do. This week's story, a continuation of last week when we spoke with Justin Watt, who was a member of the 101st Airborne Division in the Army, uh, and found out, if you remember from last week, that members of his unit had committed some horrific, heinous crimes, including a rape of a 14-year-old Iraqi girl and a murdering of their entire family. And Justin Watt came upon this information, along with another platoon mate, Sergeant John Dean, And together, these two gentlemen made it a point to bring this truth to light. As hard as that was, because it was guys that they were fighting alongside and protecting and help saving each other's lives on a daily basis, these crimes were so horrific that they had to do the right thing. And Justin Watt was one of the guys who was essential in doing the right thing, and that really was the big story in this podcast. So with that, we will pick it up with part two of the Hazard Ground Podcast with Justin Watt. So take us through how you came upon the information of what had happened, what the other four soldiers had done. So um, a couple months prior to March, um, like the company-level RTO got killed, uh, Biggers. Uh, he wasn't in my platoon. Um, but my platoon RTO was the next most senior RTO in the company, so then he got moved to the company, and then I got moved into the RTO spot for my platoon. So I got taken out of third squad, uh, which is a squad that ended up, you know, committing those trials. Well, it wasn't just third squad. It was because we weren't full squads anymore. It was like, it was like half of, you know, a fire team or a fire team. And then like a couple guys from another squad. So it was like third squad were the majority of people, but um, there was also other, other elements from first squad uh, that were part of those criminals as well. Um, so, I'm, I'm sorry, I just kind of lost track of it. What was the question one more no, time? No, just kind of take me through oh, how, how, you, find out? Yeah, how, you, how you came upon the information. Yeah, okay. So, um, Tucker, Babs, and, and Chaka um, ultimately got killed. Um, and Chaka and Tucker got taken and, and were in the process of uh, getting tortured to death uh, by, by Al-Qaeda. And, um, like, I, like, literally... I want to say it was maybe like a few hours before it happened. Um, I got sent up with Uribe um, to Mamadia. Like I had dental work, and then he ended up having a hernia that he needed to get checked out from an IED blast. Um, and it was like a mandatory thing. Like they just pulled us off the line, and they're like, "You're going." And uh, so we were, we were up in Mamadia, and that's where we got the word that it had happened. And like, so I mean, anyone who's ever been in theater when. You know, people go like, "What is what is the uh, it's like status unknown?" Um, like I, it's like dust one. Um, it's like just anyone who's seen like a battalion kind of operating space. Like whenever that goes on, it's just it's utter chaos. You know, what I mean, like everyone's scrambling. Right. You know, kind of to go react to this. Uh, you know, this event. And you know, Uribe and I found out what was going on. We kept on trying to jump on every convoy that was going out to look for him, and nobody had any seats and. It ended up we were in this ghost town of a battalion, uh, uh, you know, kind of operating space, this battalion FOB, and we were in the transient tent. We were alone, and um, it was just me and him. And we were, you know, at that point, you know, two of just a handful of guys that were left out of the original platoon guys, you know, out of the original first platoon. And it was just kind of like, 
two survivors, you know, sitting in this tent. And, uh, and I was just like, like, who would have ever thought? I think I said, like, something like, you know, did you ever think that it was going to turn out like this? You know, mm-hmm. like, this is so, this is so messed up. And he was just like, oh, man. He's like, you know what else is messed up? He's like, do you remember that family that, that got killed back in, uh, in March? And I was like, no, you know, I mean, just because, like, we were finding bodies and families all the time. It was like the one with the burned, uh, the burned little girl. And I was like, yeah. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, man, that was, that was green. That was us. Like we did that. And, uh, and I was like, what, you know, like, are you, are you kidding me? And, and he was just like, yeah, no, like, um, this is what happened. And he kind of laid it out for me, um, uh, about how green went and did this on his own and how he covered it up for green. And I was just like, there's no, there's no way that green snuck away. Like green wasn't exactly the brightest bulb in the box. Like green was, I mean, and like, these are tactically proficient guys. Like, like it, you could say whatever you want about person in Bravo company during that deployment, but they were switched on when it came to like, um, like Do, I'm outside the, the wire, stuff. like manning a checkpoint with, yeah. like, with four guys. Like you're going to be, you know what I mean? Like you're going to be paying attention. And like, and, and that was third squad's checkpoint. And you're telling me that Green, who's the biggest idiot, you know what I mean, like, in the platoon, was able to, like, change out of his uniform, get into his ninja silkies, take an AK, expel the wire without anybody knowing, go a couple hundred yards to a checkpoint, hold a family at gunpoint while he conducted a rape, you know what I mean, like, kill everybody, set the body on fire, then re-infiltrate, you know what I mean, like, the same wire. Without anybody nobody noticing. Knows. Right. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. It's just feasibly you know I mean? not like, something that would happen. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, it is, it is, it is an impossibility. And so uh, I was the RTO, and I had the logbook, and so I went back to, I think it was March 12th, and I looked at my logbook, and I saw who was there, and then I remembered a conversation. Like, I was in charge of, of making sure every checkpoint had, um, like, the correct amount of people. So, like, I was, like, I would, like, give out the assignments, for, and, like, like, the LG would tell me to do it, obviously, and then um, I would show it to the LG and be like, hey, that's good to go, or whatever. And then Cortez, um, at that time, like my squad leader was on leave and Cortez was, was in charge of, uh, third squad, uh, or excuse me, my old squad leader was on leave and Cortez was in charge of the squad. Um, and Cor- Cortez saw the roster and he was like, no, give me this guy, this guy, this guy. Um, that's who I want to be at the checkpoint with, which isn't altogether like an uncommon, sure. you know what I mean? It's like you, like if you're going to be stuck out with, you know, with a couple of people for a couple of days, like, the guys the like. Wire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was like, okay. And I switched the dudes up and, uh, and that was that, right? Well, as it turns out, like, looking at it through the lens of, of this new discovery, it was like all those people were, like, the morally bankrupt people. Mm-hmm. And and then I was like, and I saw Howard was there, and Howard wasn't, like, he was, like, a new guy. He was, like, he was still pretty cherry. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be able to work this guy and, and get some info. Um, so, you know, once I had figured out that it was probably true based on who was there and based on the fact that I knew that he didn't, he wasn't capable. No, nobody would really be capable of getting away with that. Yeah, but let like, me ask okay, you a question. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but let, let me. But so when you you said you found that it was probably true, what was the catalyst yeah. outside of Uribe, Sergeant Uribe, telling you the information that it was green? Beyond believing the whole thing, I mean, you, sometimes you hear things they just don't sound credible. What went on in your well, head that allowed you to go, okay, there's a there's a just big things, possibility? Things that have been said, you know, like Barker talking about how he wanted, like he's like, oh, you know, like found some cute girls over here, like found some cute girls over there, like and just like the morally bankrupt people. I'm like, why would they, you know, like why would he change the people that he wanted it? That, you know what I mean? Like why would he, why would he request that? You know what I mean? Like you know, like like there's just so many like little 
pieces of and like why green? Nobody likes green. Why would you bring green? And like the reason in my mind that he wanted green there was because green was the dude who was sick enough to kill people, like kill kids. You know what I mean? Like I, I was just like, I was like this. This makes sense. You know what I mean? That this and no, like you have to. You had to have seen the crime scene too. Like it was very like like they don't burn bodies over there because it's like there's no point. There's no CSI. You know what right. I mean? Like when we, when, like when I saw it, I was like, why would somebody do this? And then like when I looked through it the, through the lens of somebody trying to cover up, you know, a rape and destroy evidence, I was just like, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like like this all makes sense. And like the only way for this to happen, like a whole bunch of bodies in one room you know, her body in another room, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, the only way this makes sense is if, if there's people that are pulling security, you know what I mean? Like, they have guns, there's people that can cover for them at the checkpoint, there's people that are, you know, taking turns, and for, like, I'm not a sick person, but, like, I had to, like, think about how this would work logistically, you know what I mean? And, and in my mind, I'm like, these people had to be involved, and they probably had Howard as a lookout, you know? And so I was like, okay, um, you know, I'm going to go find out what happened and talk to Howard, and with Howard, I just acted like I knew more than I did. You know, I mean, I was just like, I basically pulled the same thing that I that, that Uribe kind of did with me. It was like, hey, you know, isn't this messed up? Um, and then I brought up the whole thing again um, about the whole rape and murder. And I was just like, hey, you know, that's fucking crazy ass shit. You know what I mean? Like, and I brought up, I was just like, but not as crazy as that shit fucking out at the TCP too. And he like kind of looked at me and I was like, dude, I know everything. You know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I know. You know what I mean? And, and I was just like, I was like asking, I was just like, well, what did, you know, like, what did, you know, what, what was Barker's deal? You know, I can't believe that Barker did that. And I was just like, I don't know, man, but Barker was all about it. You know what I mean? Like, like he was able to confirm all these different people's involvement. And once that happened, like once I had talked to him, I was just like, this definitely happened. You know what I mean? Like 100% positive. You know what I mean? Like everybody was involved that was at that checkpoint in one, you know, in one way or another, Uribe definitely covered it up. And I was just like, this has got to, like, I've got to turn these people in. Like, this is, this is an atrocity. Okay. You know? so and so you come to this conclusion, thought, um, yeah. you know, where are you when you come to this conclusion? Are you in close I'm proximity in to these guys? But I mean, are you like in close proximity to these guys? No. So, uh, originally it's like, we went from Mamadia to Stryker. Uh, so I was okay, up so in Stryker when I talked to Howard. Okay. Yeah. I was in Baghdad. And then when we, when we went back down to Mamadia, um, at that point in time, I formulated, I had formulated a plan as to how I was going to go about turning them in. Like the, I had come to the conclusion that there was absolutely no way that I would be able to talk to my platoon, um, leadership because I was just like, like it has evolved into such a unprofessional tribe that I'm like, if I do this and I tell this person that he's going to tell that person, then it's going to get back to them, you know, and I'm going to die. If I do this, you know, then it's going to go to this person and I'm going to die. So I was like, the best way for me to do this is to go outside the chain of command within the battalion. You know what I mean? And have a person, you know, because a lot of it, too, is my own reputation. It's like I needed to have somebody that knew that, you know, I wouldn't just make this shit up. So I, I chose Staff Sergeant Davis, who was, like, at that time, um, they were just starting to integrate these uh, mobile combat stress teams. And yeah. like, if you were involved, like, if you killed somebody or, you know, if, if one of your guys got killed, if you worked it, then they would send you mandatory to talk to these people. And, you know, just by virtue of the fact that I had been, been involved with, like, a, a whole bunch of those kind of kinetic events, um, I had a pretty good relationship with these people. And, I, like, Colonel Buller, Staff Sergeant Davis, and I forget the two junior E5, but... But you were, um, you were a PFC at this good. time, right? You were a PFC at this yeah, time, private first class? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was a PFC. But, like, every time that something bad had happened, I was always just like, I'm fine, you know, like, send me back, I'm good. 
you know, like I would fill out my statements and that, that would be good. And, you know, never asked for help. Um, you know, never gave anybody any problems. Never had a single Article 15. You know what I mean? Like, no no disciplinary problems. I was, I was like, a little bit older than the average private. Like, I had a good reputation. Um, I mean, I had all my promo- uh, my promotions wavered. Um, and so, I mean, not I, to make it sound like all my promotions were when I was, like, a friggin' TFD. But, you know, I mean, it, I, I'm just trying <laughs> well, to I, I understand. the point. That, it, the point is, yeah, let me just for so, everybody listening, that... You know, when you have all your stuff together and, you know, you're a guy who gets promoted ahead of schedule and, you know, you're passing your PT test, you look the part, all those other things, people generally have the assumption that you're squared away and that they can trust what comes out of your mouth because you're doing all the other little things properly. And that's kind of the, the background that you're setting. Exactly. So, you know, I talked to Staff Sergeant Davidson. I walked into his tent. Uribe, like, I had already tried to get Uribe, uh to turn. I was like, dude, you got to turn him in. You know what I mean? Like, you... You've got to send these guys in. It was. It wasn't just green. It was the whole squad. You know what I mean? Like these guys are rapists and murderers. You got to turn them in. It's just like what? You can't prove that. There's no way that the rest of the guys would do this. I'm telling you, you need to forget about it. And uh, and at that point, there was like a gamble that was happening. Like if I kept pushing, you know what I mean? Like if I told him, well, listen, you could do this with me, or and he's an E5 in the infantry, and you know, like pretty big dude. You know what I mean? And, like, he just right. covered up a rape and murder. And, it's like, that's a compromising situation to kind of put myself in. So, you know, at that point in time, um, I knew that he wasn't going to do anything. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Staff Sergeant David. So I, I, and I knew that he was watching me because he knew that this was, like, really bothering me. And so, um, and he knew that I had a, a new theory, you know, that was different from his. So, in any case, um I told him, I was like, listen, man, I can't sleep. And under the guise of, uh, you know, like these guys were still being tortured to death. I was just like, listen, man, this, this, this shit's got me messed up. I need to go get an ambient for combat stress. And he was like, all right. Um, so I go into combat stress and I sit down. Um, I was like, you see Staff Sergeant Davis. Um, he's talking about what's going on and, uh, going to the back of the tent. Ruby's like waiting for me outside the front of the tent. And I was like, listen, you, you know, I've only got, you know, a few minutes, like, there was a uh, a family that got killed outside of checkpoint two. The daughter was burned alive. You know what I mean? She was raped multiple times by American soldiers. Like here are the soldiers that did it. You know what I mean? Like Uribe covered it up. You have got to investigate this. Like it's got to happen. And he was just like, "What?" You know what I mean? That was not like really what he was expecting to deal with. Um, you know, at that moment. And, and I was just like, "Listen, you can't tell anybody. You know, like work it from the outside. Like my platoon is a mess. You know what I mean? Like just." Just make sure, you know, that, that this happened and, like, make sure that people know that this happened and make sure that you guys investigate it. And he was like, okay, I'll look into it. Did he believe you, you and think, so when you first up. told him? Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, it's it's one of those things where I wish that the author would have talked to him um, when he wrote Black Arts because I would have been fascinated to see, you know, what would have happened. But, you know, I, I came out uh, and I was like, oh, I need an Ambien. Um, like that's why Uribe thinks I'm here. So he gave me an ambient and uh left the tent and Uribe was suspicious and I was just like, No, I played it off. Um I was like, I just need the ambient and then we went back down into sector. In any case, um when I got back down into sector, Uribe was just like, You talked to Howard? You know, I to Howard to talk to Uribe about me talking to him. And I was just like, yeah, I talked to Howard. And, like, so then at that point, I started getting really nervous because the idea of, you know, me asking questions about what happened, you know what I mean? Like, and the fact that I had already confronted Uribe and he knew that I wanted him to turn these guys in, like, I started to get really scared. And so I reached out to DM. Scared for your life. And I was just, 
Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Now, now, at this point, like, you felt you felt convinced if these guys could do this to, to Iraqis, that they would do it to one of their own. Oh, I would like. Yeah, I mean, not only would it be like logistically completely possible, um, just because of like the sector that we were in, but you know, I mean, what you know, these these are rapists and murderers. I mean, like, and not only murderers, but like murderers of children. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like what wouldn't they do? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of amazing that you could make that make that discuss. Like to me. I'm sitting here trying to think about, and I think a lot of people listening are going to be thinking about, what would I do in that spot? Now, the courage alone to come forward is one thing, and I commend you for it. I don't want to underscore that by any stretch of imagination, because it could have been easy to look the other way, um, given the climate you're in. But what I'm trying to reconcile in my own head is, is how I would operate feeling like my own are going to turn against me. I, I, I mean, I know you're turning against them in a sense, because these are the guys that you were going through all the same crappy stuff with and, and, and all the shitty deals that you were yeah. doing. You're turning on them, but it, it, you're doing the right thing in that sense. But, you know, the fact that you felt so strongly that they could turn on you is something I'm having a hard time grasping. Really? Well, I mean, I mean it's like... No, I, I just because I'm putting it in a combat, combat text, you know, in a sense where no matter what we went through in an environment, like the guys I had deployment, no matter what we yeah. went through, we would always stand side by side. You know, there are guys to this day, and yeah. I, t- I say this often on the podcast, that... You know, one of those guys I deployed with, they picked up the phone and called me and said, Mark, I need you. I'd pick, I'd go. Yeah. Without a question. I, I would just go yeah. because we went through that together. So I'm trying to figure yeah. out how, I, I guess, you separate well, that in your head. You gotta, you gotta I, I mean, I think that when you see that, you kind of, I mean. And granted, I, I didn't see the crime like, scene or anything, so that might have been yeah. something else that would have, you yeah. know, got me in a well, little bit di- different state of, of mind. I mean, that's part of it, you know what I mean, is, is seeing what they did, you know what I mean, and seeing... Yeah, that might have made it a lot you know, more like that, but like, when you, when you bury all your friends, like, and it, like there's... You know, I buried a lot of friends, you know, and um, they were good guys. And, you know, we have the luxury in the United States military of being the good guy, you know, and I think that that is a large part of what makes our sacrifice palatable to ourselves is that we, we know that we did it in the interest of, you know, a better world or, you know, of our own country. And being the good guy is important to us. It's important in our, expou- you know, espouse value system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to us, you know, in in the way that we um, behave, you know, in combat and, like, the, the treaties that we're a part of. Um, and it matters a lot to us, I think, as human beings. And when you see... Um, something like that happened, and I was the guy, like, uh, like when we, found, like, the day that this, you know, the morning of, basically, after that crime had taken place, like, I was the RTO at TCP-1, and, you know, grandfather was the first thing I did that morning. Um, one of the Iraqi police that was down at the checkpoint, um, you know, had talked to this family as they walked up to the checkpoint, and they, you know, requested the interpreter and lieutenant, and so I went down there, and I got the story of what happened, and it was like there's this little boy, you know what I mean, and, and mm-hmm. his grandfather, and they're like, you know, our whole family's dead, you know, and our house is on fire, and we don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, um, you know, told the lieutenant what was going on, you know, hey, you know, it might be a trap, like, you know, what what do you think? Should we send out a patrol? Yeah, okay. And then Uribe uh, got tasked with, you know, setting up a patrol. They go out, um, and it's like... You see all these pictures of what happened, and it's like you know. I mean, if you patrolled anywhere, you know, in the sector, it's like these are people that you see on a day-to-day basis, and there's a lot of good people. You know what I mean? And mm. 
It's just like, I, I don't know, man. I, I Do you still see that crime scene? There's, there's, do, do you still see yeah, that crime scene in your yeah, head? Absolutely. And and I'll tell you, there's nothing that could make that okay. You know, like, there's nothing. Right. Like, I went through the same hardship that those guys went through, if not more. You know what I mean? And I can tell you that as a member of First Platoon Bravo Company, I'm the only one who ran combat operations from the start of that deployment to the finish. Okay. And, you know, nobody, you know, in that platoon, um, has suffered any more than I have suffered. You know what I mean? And, and never once did I think about um, doing anything like you know, that. Doing anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I mean it. It's uh, it, it was a horrific, horrific thing. And I'll tell you, it's not okay. You know what I mean? Like it's not like like we get to be the good guys because we are the good guys. You know, and and if we don't do anything about that stuff, then we we don't get to claim that. And I would have had to live with that for the rest of my life. Like if I, that's one of those things that you never get to say. You know, like you don't you don't get to come back from that. Like for the rest of my life, you know, like if I had a little girl one day, I'd have to be like, you know what? I'm actually okay with rape and murder. You know, no, it's yeah, just like like that's it defines you. That's a that's a defining moment, and like that's just like that. You know, you never really understand have. how hard the right thing is to do until you're ultimately confronted with doing the right thing yeah. when there are dire dire circumstances on the line. Because most people yeah. would and, shrink and not do anything. Yeah, and it, I'll, I'll tell you, man. Like it, it's you know, it, it's one of. The, I'm glad that you brought it up though, because it is something that. Um, like when you say, like, I don't understand, or, you know, you want me to talk more about what that's like, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, like, is it is it a fairly cut and dry decision in, in regards to, like, would the Army expect me to do that, right? If I found out about that, then absolutely the answer is yes, right? But mm-hmm. is it made more complicated by the fact that, like, those are guys that have saved my life, and I've, you know, yep. fought side to side with them? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Is there a part of me that feels bad about it? You know what I mean? Like, is there a part of me that feels like a... Uh, like a, a rat, you know what I mean? Uh, like, so to speak, that just feels like, you know, I, I committed some horrible b- betrayal, you know? Like, yeah, there is. But that's fair. You know, because it's not, it's not black and white, you know what I mean? But it is at the same time. But, you know, I'll tell you, for the, for the people that, for the people that, that, you know, say I did the wrong thing and there's one in every room that I go talking to, at least, you know, I'm just like, listen, man, if, you're, if your family got raped and murdered, you know what I mean? Mm hmm. And I knew something about it. What would you want me to do? You know, and it's and a fair question. I, you, I guarantee you, some of those people would still argue it with you. Well, you know, and then I, I, I hope that they get out of the army. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I really do. Agreed. But, so, all right, we'll go yeah. back to the point where you, you. I'm sorry we got derailed, but it was just it was great stuff. I, I loved hearing you talk about it. But all right, so you realize how scared you are. The fact that you yeah. just let the cat out of the bag. You're scared, and where are you? Tell tell us what's going on next. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going back, uh, like, you know, anytime that you're like going up to like a major fob and you're like down in like a platoon or company area of operations, like there's like three or four different jumps you've got to make. So, uh, finally end up back, um, out at checkpoint four, uh, near the JSB out in Yusufia. And, um, I'm at this checkpoint, Uribe's there, um, Sergeant Payne is there, a couple other guys from second squad, um, and we ended up doing a patrol and uh, ultimately ended up linking up with Diem, who was at the Alamo. And uh, I took that time, like, because Uribe was asking me about why I was talking to Howard, brought up the fact that he's like, you really need to drop this. You know, the fact that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to contain it, and the fact that Uribe was probably going to go talk to everyone else and let them know that I knew, 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was kind of on a clock. Um, and so, like, the one guy in the platoon that was, like, absolutely 100%, like, unflappable was John Diem. And, um, and I was just like, John, I need to tell you something. Um, I mean, I didn't say John. I was like, Son, I need to, I need to tell you something. Um, you can't say anything about it. You know what I mean? But if something bad happens to me, this is why. And you need to make sure that you run this ball across the finish line. Um, and he's just like, uh, I was, I was just like, you know, it involves these people, but I can't tell you what it is. And he was like, you know, he was like bullshit private. You know what I mean? Like you're going to tell me what's going on. And that, like, that was something that he never did with me. I mean, like, he, it was never, like, we had a really good relationship. Like, he, he respected me. I respected him. Like, he never had to, like, pull rank on me. But that was, like, the only time he ever did. Do you think he and believed you? I was like, you? all right, like, yeah, he believed me right away. I think that, um, like, it took him a minute, I think, to get his head around how to deal with the problem. Um, I mean, <laughs> in a big way, I kind of wish that he wouldn't have done what he did because it put me in a really crappy spot i mean he bailed me out of the spot but um it was you know i was just like this is getting worked from the outside tell people you know? what he did though um yeah so ultimately uh, as as it turns out and I, I didn't know this until much later but um he ends up uh going pulling guard for a couple hours and then he decides that he's going to go in and tell the platoon sergeant in the pl and um and basically you know attached, you know, pull a pin on a grenade and be like, you know, um, this is what happened. You know, I believe what, um, we need to do something about this. Like fundamentally, like if you're not, this is a courtesy, like if you're not going to do anything about this, then I will. And, um, you know, that set a significant amount of wheels in motion. So the first thing that happened was a radio call got made from the platoon, um, down to the company and, uh, at Bulldog HQ. And Sergeant Fennelson made that call, and, and, and it went out over the net, so every soldier in the platoon heard it. And Do you know like, what the call uh, was, though? Down here. I'm sorry? What was the exact call? Hey, we just need you to come down yeah, and talk to you about something, or was it? it? Yeah, I was listening to it. It was like, it was something to the effect of, uh, I need you to get down here now, sir, something's happened. It's very important that you get here. And it's like, well, what happened? I'm busy. Sir, I, I can't talk about it over the net. You know, you're just going to have to get down there. And, and the words that he used was like, it makes... Uh, God, what was the uh, the other atrocity? Where all those people? Oh, it makes Hadith look like uh, Disneyland or something like that. Oh, okay. um, and at that point in time, the CEO was like, "Oh my God!" And you know, so he goes down there. Uh, third platoon brought him up to the checkpoint, and then they all met. Um, and then the, the call went out to the battalion uh, a while later. But during that time, <laughs> once that radio call went out about you know this made Hadith look like Candyland, your review approached me again was like what the fuck did you say? I was like, I didn't say shit. It was probably Howard. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't say anything. Like, and this is like Oscar fucking winning acting, you know, that I'm happy to do. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just playing for time, you know? Um, and what ended up happening was he ends up going on a patrol down to uh, the JSB and he comes back and he's like, hey, I got in touch with everybody. You know, everyone's got their stories straight. Um, it's done. You know what I mean? Like I talked to him and he's like, never bring it up again. You know, like this isn't going to go anywhere. And I was just like, I didn't say anything, man. He's just like, well, even if you, even if you did, it's not going anywhere. And I was just like, Oh my God, you've got to be fucking kidding. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't like, you couldn't have fucked this up any worse. You know what I mean? Like this is specifically the reason why I wanted to go outside the chain of command. Um, and now it's just like, I'm fucking dead. Um, and so 
what ends up happening is the battalion commander comes out, and he goes, and he talks to everybody, and, uh, of course, they all have their stories straight. And then he goes down to checkpoint four, where I'm at, with Uribe. And he, you know, they get out of the vehicle, and they're like, where's Watt at? And uh, so they bring me into one of the rooms, this little bombed-out building. And Uribe's hanging out in the doorway behind me. And, uh, like, so tell us what happened. And I was just like, you got to be fucking kidding. You know what I mean? Like, this is unbelievable. And so, you know, I had to get a parade rest, and I was just like, sorry, Uribe. You know, the sergeant standing behind me covered up the rape and murder of a family outside of Checkpoint 2. You know what I mean? Like, here were the participants. So at this point, you, know you, you like, had no choice but to go balls out and go all in and just point, yeah. start pointing fingers. Because you figure you're yeah, dead anyway, right? Yeah, that's it, man. So I, I just stood there, and I was just like, that man covered up a murder. You know what I mean? Or multiple murders. He covered up the rape. Like, these men chain-raped a 14-year-old girl and killed, like, another 3-year-old little girl. Um, and I know this to be true. And they they have confessed individually to me their participation. You know, I have it corroborated, like, you know, in this radio log that they were all there on that day. Um, and that's all I can tell you. You know, and they're like, what gives you the right to accuse this non-commissioned officer or something like this? This could end his career. You know what I mean? I was just like, because he told me that he covered it up you know, sorry, major or sir or whatever, you know what I mean? And, but we don't believe you, you know what I mean? Like, why would they do this? You don't know anything. Everything you have is third-party information. And there's no real arguing with a sergeant major about, like, what third-party versus first-party, you know what I mean, like, right. information is. Um, so I I made an attempt to tell him, like, when somebody who participated in the crime told me that they covered it up, that was indeed first-party information, and, you know, he wasn't having any of it, and then he left me there. Um, like, well, we've, we've heard enough. And then they get into their, into their convoy and they, they basically radio check out. And at that point they start driving away. And, and you feel you know, total despair. Like that's, that's like a feeling of despair where I, I can't describe to you, man. I mean, I can't, I can't, I was like, that's, that's it. I'm dead. Like my, my own battalion just killed me. Was, was that and, feeling worse than any feeling you had about dying in combat? Yeah, by far. Okay. Like, that's the first time I felt totally alone. Like, because everything started sinking in all at once. Like, there's a whole bunch of considerations that never crossed my mind. Like, who's going to come out and find the forensic evidence? You know what I mean? Like, who's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like this happened months ago. Like, it's been degraded. Like, everything's been compromised. Like, where's the weapon? You know what I mean? Like, like as, as like, he, you know, it, it was just like, there's, I, I was like, I'm completely fucked. Like, I, my career is over. You know, I'm going to die. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, I, I'm finished in every possible way. And uh, then I heard DM get on the video and uh, tell the battalion commander to turn around. Um, and, you know, he came back and he picked me up. And, um, he, you know, he never had planned to even take me out. Like, regardless of whatever he heard, there wasn't even seats for me there. He had to leave a member of his PSD. Um, at the checkpoint that I was at because there wasn't room for any of my stuff. Wow. So it's like, yeah, I mean, he had, there was no circumstance under which he was, he was going to pull me out of there. And I'll tell you, um, even, even after, you know, John went all in, you know, who was an E5, freshly promoted E5 at that time, you know, blowing up a battalion commander's spot uh, on, like, you know, company net. It doesn't happen often um, in the Army for people wondering. No. <laughs> yeah, No. <laughs> Um, even after that, they, you know, they, they put me in, um, you know, I was, I was interrogated for like about a week 
uh, by CID. Um, you know, I had armed guards that were outside the tent. I, I was my weapon was taken from me. Um, I kept on having to fill out sworn statements over and over and over again. Um, no one believed me. They were asking me questions like, "Why do you want to get out of the army? You know, like, why would you make this stuff up? Um, you know, I, just all this, all this stuff." Um, and I'm like, "I'm not an idiot. Like, you know, I know what you're trying to insinuate." And uh, eventually, I just got done with it, and I I just balled up a piece of paper and I just bounced it off as you know this. I assume a warrant officer's chest. And that's like, there's two times that I broke military bearing in my entire, entire military career. And that's one of them. And I was just like, I'm not filling out another fucking sworn statement. This what? happened. You know what I mean? You can prove it or not. What was the you other one? I mean? Just but out of curiosity. Um, the other one I think was, uh, uh, let's see. Holy crap. I can't even remember. No, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to think about that. I'm going to have to think about <laughs> All right, that. All right, go on though. <laughs> So you crumple up the piece of paper, throw it at him, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was like, I'm done, and um, and that was it. And then, literally, uh, the next day uh, was supposed to be uh, the memorial service for Tucker Babs and Shaka. Um, and I wasn't going to be allowed to go because I was still being detained. And um, the only place that I was allowed to go was to the combat trust tent. And... Um, I just decided that I was just going to go to the the memorial service. I was like, if they, you know, like I don't know what they're going to do, you know, but it's just like a couple of privates who are like standing outside the door of this tent with guns. I'm like, you know, I don't think they're going to shoot me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not totally sure right. what they're going to do, but I'm going to go to this memorial service. And I was like, so fuck it. And I went to uh, started walking to the memorial service. And uh, when I was, I'm, and I'm not kidding. Like this sounds crazy, but this is exactly what happened. Um, as I'm walking to the memorial service and these privates behind me are like, you can't leave. I'm like, I'm going. And they're like, uh, like, you know, trying to figure out what to do. Um, I see, uh, the two CID, uh, officers walking with Howard and, uh, they're like, Howard just told us the truth. Um, you know, like we know that it happened. Um, why don't you come to the memorial service with us? And that was that. So after that, everyone knew that I was told that I, I was telling the truth. Um, do you feel relieved? Yeah, I, I fell to my knees. You but know, did you I feel safe, crying. I meant? Like, relieved and safe at the same time? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I mean, it was like the first part, it was like the first part of, uh, you know, a series of, of moments that, like, you know, ultimately kind of redeemed me in a way. Uh, but, so after that happened, I got assigned to PSYOPs, um, and then I worked the Mamadia riots, which was tons of fun. Like we started having problems with like the Maudie militia and some other elements uh, that were there. So it was like more carnage. And then they pulled the first platoon um, and they made them pull guard up at Mamadia. Yep. Um, and because they were like no longer combat effective, like at all, like there was nobody, there was like, I want to say like six or seven guys left in the platoon that hadn't been like injured or that weren't involved in the crimes. Um, and so those guys got stuck on guard. Um, and then I got assigned to Charlie Company, first platoon, and that was the platoon that got sent to cover down on Bravo Company. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, so I was right back into the same area. And I worked the rest of my, my deployment, um, you know, com running combat operations in the exact same sector that I was in the whole time. So did that, um, came home, and, hey, you know, Charlie Company barracks is, like, literally immediately next to Bravo Company barracks, got jumped twice. Um, wow. Yeah, and there's no, nobody ever took it seriously. Nobody cared, you know. Um, PCS down to Ranger Training Battalion um, thought that I had uh, kind of gotten away from it. 
then the trial started. Uh, I was called by the uh, <laughs> the defense every single time. Um, so it, most people that don't know, um, there's only like two rooms, basically, uh, in a military kind of courthouse. There's like the prosecution's room and the defense's room. And like all, like if I got called by the defense, like so I was like sitting in rooms with like the people whose family I put in jail. You know what I mean? Or like the people who I put in jail's family, excuse me. Right. And like all of the witnesses that were corroborating their side of things, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is friggin' miserable. And that's like, you know, these things go on for like 30 days sometimes. Um, and so like I was down a Ranger Training Battalion and then, you know, um, that makes it really hard for them to schedule me to be a put, uh, part of platoon operations, um, you know, work in the Ranger School classes. Um so it's like, and then everyone's like, why are you leaving? And it's like, I'd rather be, you know, keep it private. You know, and you're like, what is this about? And, you know, it's in the news and, um, and it follows me down there. And it's just like, and not only that, but I, I, you know, um, I ended up having some idiosyncrasies, you know what I mean? Like I, I ended up having, uh, PTSD pretty bad, um, Obviously. you know, after that deployment. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, was uh, testifying it was hard. Time. Yeah, it's, it's extremely difficult, um, you know, because everything comes into question. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, you know, I mean, it's, just, it's their job to provide the accused a good defense. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, tearing you down, um, questioning you, um, making it seem like you're not telling the truth, uh, making it seem like, you know, you got all ulterior motives, like whatever it may be. It's just like, it's hard, man. I mean, it's hard. You know what I mean? Like it's, you get thrown into a, an environment where every, like all these people get to judge you and I don't know, man. It's, and it's just, it, I, and just being in the room with the family, it's, you know what I mean? Like that was the yeah. hardest part, man. That was, that was just, that was devastating. Like, like I'll never, I'll never forget like a, at Spielman's trial at Fort Campbell. Um, like he has like an older sister that basically raised him. And, uh, and I just sat there quietly like the whole time, you know, in this room, she was so uncomfortable. just kind of like looking at the floor and eventually, you know, like, she, like, looked at me and was like, hey, what? Um, she's like, I want you to know that, like, I, I forgive you. You know, like, I know that this isn't your fault. And it was just like, it was just, I mean, it, it, just those, like, that's another thing you don't consider. You know what I mean? Like, all those people are innocent. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, all those people get their family name run through the mud. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. have to witness their little brother, their big brother their son, you know what I mean? Like go to prison, you know, hear in graphic detail about the crimes that they participated in. And not just that, but all the horrible things that they experienced, which is like fundamentally the defense for every single trial. It was just like, here's all the carnage, like, you know, here's the carnage porn, you know, from the whole deployment. You know what I mean? Like here's all the people that died and all the people that got killed and, you know, all the bad guys, you know, we had to kill and all the, you know, the IEDs that, you know, made people lose legs and arms and, you know, like, it was horrible, and, you know, this is how much sleep they got, and it's just like, you know, these poor families, they're like, this is stuff that we generally keep from our family, you sure. know? Yeah. And, like, you know, these guys are getting, like, a... It, it was just difficult, man. Looking back on it, would you do anything different? No. Like, that was, that, that's, like, the only, you know... I mean, I think as a soldier, that was what the Army expected me to do. Um, I think that, like, as a man... um that's something that I, I wasn't willing to, that's not a chip that I was willing to trade, you know, like, I really do believe that, like, 
you could be a philanthropist, you know, 999 days, you know what I mean? Or like, whatever, but on that thousandth day, if you rape a little girl, you're a rapist. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just can't, like, or if you cover up a rape, you're somebody who covered up a rape for the rest of your life, you know? And like, I, I just can't, like, that's not me, man. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. So, no, you know, and I think that, um, in time, um, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of got redeemed a little bit, like, sure. you know, like having, having the army kind of reach out back to me and just be like, Hey, you know, cause like when I, I mean, dude, when I got out, like it was, it was not like a, um, Hey, what you were a good soldier. Hey, what, you know, like that's not how it happened. You know what I mean? Like it was like, I basically got, you know, just shit talk, jumped, um, you know, just destroyed, you know what I mean? For the remainder of my enlistment, um, finally got met boarded, um, honorably discharged. And, uh, I outprocessed the army in two weeks and I was on my own and that was it. And I didn't hear anything, you know what I mean? From anything for years until, uh, the book came out. And then like, obviously Green's trial, uh, didn't happen, I think until 2010, um, because he was tried as a civilian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got called back in for that, and then Jim Frederick's book came out, and then, you know, some videos uh, started happening uh, with the Army, like the Cape Center up at West Point. Uh, they wanted me to do some training videos for uh, leaders and stuff. And then, What's the one takeaway that you give in those in those sessions you have with the higher-level military leaders? What's, what's the one thing you harp on? It's, it, it, you know, I don't have, like, a thing. I mean, it's usually... Um, you gotta understand it's kind of like a difficult situation because, I mean, for one, I'm, I'm no matter what, like this, this general, this, uh, you know, colonel, whoever is putting this talk together, reads this book, and then I am Justin Watts, the PFC. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make right. a difference that I owned a business that you know did 1.5 million dollars a year in revenue. It doesn't make any difference that you know what I mean. I'm I'm 30 years old. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, I am kind of forever stuck as uh, private Justin Watt when I do these talks. So um, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll tell me what their concerns are, and then I'll try to take some lessons from my deployment and tie them into that um, for whatever is useful. But, I mean, what, one of the things that I always try to, to talk to people about is the importance of your men <clears throat> understanding the mission. Um, like, and it seems really stupid, um, but... Like, when you're asking somebody to die for something, like, when I look back on kind of, like, the catalysts that allowed us to get from A to B, it's just, like, it's it's understanding that, like, you know, this is the greater purpose. Like, so if you die on this road today, you know why. You know what I mean? And, like, why it's so important and what it's contributing to the overall, um, you know, mission that we're trying to accomplish here. Two, um, you know, the importance of chaining yourself morally and institutionally, um like, to that greater institution of the Army. You know what I mean? Like, everyone wants to be the good guy. A lot of people, weak leaders, in my opinion, trade kind of favors uh, sure. for influence, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Um, like, I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to be the cool guy. And the truth of the matter is, is, like, that does people a significant disservice. Like, when things are really bad, like, I keep in mind, like, I'm not trying to discredit, like, there's tons of, I'm sure, much more qualified leaders than me that are listening to this podcast. But um, on the extreme end of the spectrum... All I can talk about is that 
this is how the systemic cancer took over my platoon and turned it into a tribe where these things were possible. And um, the last thing that I would say is um, develop your soldiers, you know, on a personal level. I mean, the Army, like John, one of John's things is, like, the Army isn't real. It's not. You know what I mean? Like, you can't reach out and touch the Army. The Army can't make spot corrections. Only you can. And, like, the more, like, you have to make the soldiers have something to lose. Like, if you walked up to me, I didn't know you, right? And, you know, you walked up to me and you ripped the 101st patch off of my uh, my Velcro panel on my backpack. And you threw it on the ground and you spit on it. Like, you'd wake up in the hospital. You know what I mean? Like, and, and the reason why is because I'm proud of my service and I'm proud of that unit and I'm proud of, you know, uh, being a soldier. And, you know, people can't respect something. People, like, like, that's what keeps you from doing those crimes. Like, the thing that keeps you, like, everyone gets angry. Everyone thinks about, like, man, I just want to burn the city down. Everybody, you know what I mean? Like, when you take a casualty, feels that way. The people that don't do it, don't do it because they've got something to lose. You know what sure. I mean? Like, they're yeah. aware of the sacrifice that came before them. They're aware of the reputation. Like, like they, they're aware of the fact that they owe. They're on, they're on borrowed respect, you know? They're makes, on makes borrowed honor. And and, it's, go ahead, I'm sorry. And you, no, and you've got to invest into making sure that your soldiers, because, like, these soldiers come from all over the world, or not all over the world, but all over the country, and it's like, well, sometimes all over the world, but they don't all have the same value system. You know what I mean? Like, they don't. They're from different places, and it's, and it's going to take real, no-bullshit work to get everyone on the same page and make them proud of who they are as a soldier, as a new person in this institution, you know? And if you can achieve that, if you can develop that soldier, you know what I mean, and you can develop that person's moral character, you know what I mean, and get their value system to align with the armies, this is not something you'll have to worry about. But if you try to just bet that it's not going to happen to you, well, you know, maybe it won't, but, you know, it can. One Absolutely can. One final thought, because you just touched on it, about your military service. You went through hell yeah. and back. You put your life on the line. Uh, you, you, you did something that not a lot of people have the courage and, and the conviction to do. You ended up blackballed. You ended up disrespected on your way out the door of the military. There was no fanfare for you, only a lot of headache. How do you view your military yeah. service? Um, you know, it's one of those things where, um, I'm honored to have been a part of the, the institution. I mean, it's been the greatest honor of my life. Um, and, and, and I say that because, you know, how many times, like, you know, I mean, everyone fantasizes about it, right? Like, like, you know, some chick breaks up with you and you're like, she's never going to find somebody like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, she's going to come back to me. You know what I mean? And she's gonna she's gonna tell me that she's sorry. It never happens, right? Like it never, ever happens. Like boss fires you, you lose your job. You know, like they they don't come crawling back. And the, the reality is, the army came back to me and was like, you know, hey, what? Like, there's something you know that we feel like we can learn, you know, learn from here, and and we want to hear what happened. And we're you know, and in many cases, you know, like you know, coming from like the chief of staff or the sergeant major of the army to be like, hey, you know, the army kind of failed you, and you know, we're we're happy that you were one of us. You know what I mean? And, and it's, right. we're proud that you did the right thing. Like that, you know, that that means a lot to me. And there's not too many institutions on the planet, um, in my opinion, that would do that. And you know, the army's like worthy of all of our sacrifice. And um, and not only that, but like when you think about, like when I think about myself as a man, like you think about all these moments that define you. And where you get to say, like, I'm that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I know that about myself. Like, I know that when I have 
you know, I, like there was a mission where it's like I didn't sleep or eat for, for 78 hours, you know? And it's like, you know, I, I get to know that because of the Army. You know what I mean? I'm a guy who, who I know that I can do things like that. Like, I know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not the guy who punks out in a gunfight. I know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm not the guy who's going who's gonna, to, you know, do the wrong thing when it's hard. And it's like, I know the answers to all these questions. Like, a lot of, a lot of people walk around and they think a lot of things about themselves. You know what I mean? Yep. A lot of people, you know, even with their friends, they're like, I think I've got a really good friend. You know, the difference is like, I know John Diem, like when there's no benefit for John, you know what I mean? Like, I know John Diem is going to be in my corner. You know what I mean? Like, I know for a definitive fact that when, when shit gets real bad, you know what I mean? I'm not the, the dude who folds. And it's like forever, I'll be thankful for that. And that like the army, I think, is one of the only places you can learn those things about yourself. Well, from that standpoint, I, I can tell you, look, it's been an honor to speak with you. I've never met you. We've talked here for for a while. I would never look at you as a PFC. I'd look at you as a leader. I'd look at you as a guy that I would want standing next to me, uh, not only in a firefight, but in a meeting, in a planning session, whatever. You know, officers do things a little bit differently than, than enlisted, obviously. But, you know, they're, they're, I've always tried to surround myself in the military with people who have strong opinions and, and are willing to speak their mind and have conviction, and you've proven yourself to have all those things and to be all those things. Uh, so from that standpoint, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for upholding what the military has taught us all to be. I thank you for, you know, being the the, the, the guy who understands that, yeah, we are the good guy because of guys like you. It, 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 it's, it's not guys like me who do cool stuff and everything else. It's guys like you who give us the clout to say, hey, we're always going to do the right thing. We're going to make mistakes, but when push comes to shove, we're going to get it right when, when it really matters, and you're proof of that. And from that, you know, again, as I've said repeatedly, from a guy who wears a uniform, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and you have nothing but the greatest respect from me for what you've done for our country. I, I appreciate that. That means a lot, and, and definitely thank you for your service as well. And um yeah, no, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to talk about, you know, the more human aspects of, of what happened. Because, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, specifically, like, with these discussions, I mean, people like to focus on the, you know, rape, rape and murder is bad. You know what I mean? Like, like don't do rape and murder, you know, arm, go army, cool, you know, and then that's pretty much the end of it. Um, but it's important, you know. I mean, I think it's important to talk about our successes, um, certainly, but also our failures, you know. And I, I think that that's how, that's how we learn. So thank you for, for having me, for sure. Justin Watt, thanks for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.